Well, General George Washington knew he had to get his men out of Brooklyn, for they were trapped. The British warships controlled the East River, and the Redcoats surrounded them on the land. This ragtag rebellion army was literally and figuratively in the dark as it approached midnight on August 28, 1776. And then the troops started crossing the river. It was a windy night, so the Brits couldn't be on the river in their ships patrolling the river like normal. They had to anchor nearby. And these beleaguered Americans were silent as ghosts. One American ferryman counted 11 crossings as he helped the soldiers move from bank to bank across the choppy waves into New York. And yet, dawn was coming, and still many of the troops had not had a chance yet to cross. It was a laborious process. The morning light threatened to expose the soldiers who were trying to escape Brooklyn in the secrecy of night. If the Brits would have seen them, they would have had no way to defend themselves. But then, a dense fog fell. There was one soldier who remarked that the fog was so thick that he couldn't see his fellow soldiers six feet in front of him. So the exhausted soldiers continued to cross the river in the morning under the cover of the fog until all 9,000 American soldiers had escaped. Save for three who stayed behind to loot the camp and they were quickly captured by the Brits. The Brits were shocked. How did this happen? Right under their noses. You know, it's, it's interesting to consider today, what if? What if General Howe and the British had pursued their victory on August 27, 1776, at the Battle of Long Island or the Battle of Brooklyn, whatever you want to call it? The Americans had nowhere to go. General Washington would have been forced to surrender What if the wind and the fog hadn't cooperated? Would there even be a United States of America? Those 9,000 American troops had been in great danger of being discovered, which made the escape, the escape, all the greater. Today, a much more profound escape is needed for us today. Winning that battle for no taxation without representation was just a skirmish. The freedom of the American slave was just the beginning. The true freedom and victory that we should be celebrating today is something more grand, more eternal, and even more relevant to our everyday lives than our independence from the British crown. We want to take some time to remember that this morning, which brings us to Psalm 124. I would invite you to turn there in your Bibles to Psalm 124. It's on page 543 of the Pew Bibles. You will be helped during the sermon if you keep your Bibles open. We're going to do something a little bit differently today. We're going to have the words on the screen just for a minute, so keep turning there in your Bibles. Uh, But we're going to read part of this psalm all together. So as you're turning to Psalm 124, page 543 in the Pew Bibles, 
I'm going to begin by reading the first verse, and then I'd invite you to join me as we read verses 2 through 8 together as a congregation. Psalm 124, a song of ascent of David. If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Blessed be the Lord, who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Once we conclude this sermon this morning, we will be one-third through our journey through the Psalms of Ascent. So let's recount our pilgrim's progress thus far. Our pilgrim was sick of Meshach and Kedar. He was in distress, and he set out for Jerusalem in Psalm 120. In Psalm 121, he looked not to the idols of the mountains, but he looked to the Lord and trust for his protection and help. And then he stood as he rejoiced in the city of Jerusalem in Psalm 122, secure within Jerusalem's walls in peace. And then last week in Psalm 123, our pilgrim looked for favor, not from the proud, but from the Lord. Which brings us to our psalm today. David calls Israel to remember their great escape from her enemies in Psalm 124, the great escape. This psalm reminds us that it is not because of the weather, dumb luck, or our own skill that we escape danger. This psalm rejoices in the name of the Lord. That's where our help comes from, in the name of the Lord. God's people are called to bless the Lord for their great escape. And my prayer for us here at Henson is that we would remember the great peril that we are in apart from Christ and that we would rehearse together our great rescue in Christ. That's my prayer. And we're going to consider the salvation that he has wrought ultimately in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, So this is a joyful song of thanksgiving. It's a song of escape. But in order to see how great our escape is, we've got to first understand how great the danger is. So I have two points. The great danger and the great escape. The great danger and the great escape. Let's first consider the great danger. I'd invite you to look again at verse 2. If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us. So the psalmist remembers and sings of a time when people attacked us. What is he talking about? That's not very specific. So we look down to the following verses to get more details. Look at verse 3. The attackers are pictured, then they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger against us. Okay? Not, still not very specific. We got it maybe the attackers as a monster, maybe a hangry snake or a dragon ready to swallow Israel alive. Let's keep reading. Verses 4 and 5. Then the water would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging water would have swept over us. Okay, now the enemy is a flash flood getting ready to engulf Israel. You know, the, the repetition in verses 4 and 5 is meant to evoke feelings of being overwhelmed by danger, by the anger and fury of nature coming at us. Lots of, lots of repetition, word pictures and images in this, in this psalm. Not a lot of historical facts. 
And that's because we are meant to feel the fury of the enemies more than we are to figure out the who and the when of who are the enemies, when did this happen. The enemy pictured as a flood for me made me think, uh, in verses 4 and 5, made me think of a story that my parents often tell me. Maybe I've even shared this with you before. But I must have been six or seven years old, and our family was visiting the Oregon coast. I saw some rocks out in the Pacific Ocean, and I thought it would be cool to wade, wade out into the waves, climb the rocks, and I was standing triumphantly on those rocks like a captain at the wild sea, when a wave suddenly swept me off the rock and pulled me under, and I couldn't catch my breath. It wasn't until my mom had to come out into the water to rescue me uh, that I was saved. David wants us to feel the helplessness of our situation apart from the Lord here. We are the little boy swept off those rocks, unable to get a breath under the waves. Now, Israel could recall many events from her own history when all hope seemed lost. You know, maybe reading these verses, especially verses 4 and 5, made you think of the Exodus when the Egyptians had cornered uh, the Israelites in front of the Red Sea. Uh, the language is also very similar to 2 Samuel 5. Early in King David's reign, the Philistines spread out before Israel. It's not looking good for Israel. Um, and the Philistines are threatening to wipe out Israel. And King David would have just been a footnote in Israel's history. Later in Israel's history, it's likely that as God's people sang these these psalms together going up to Jerusalem on one of the three annual feasts that thugs and thieves might have threatened them and attacked them. Israel was no stranger to danger. And here in the opening stanza of our psalm, Israel rejoices for she knows that were it not for the Lord, she would have been done for, condemned, consumed, killed, swallowed, wiped out, And Israel rejoices in this song for how the Lord has saved her from angry enemies. She trembles with joy and relief as she sings of what would have happened had the Lord not been on our side. What about us? Have you ever felt in danger? And I don't mean the danger of getting knocked over by a wave or even the danger that you might feel if you walk through an unsafe neighborhood all alone at night. Not talking about the danger of losing your savings or even losing someone you love. Here's my question. What would it mean for your soul to be in danger? What would it mean for your soul to be in danger? You know, in verses 4 and 5, we could translate the us as our soul. The stream would have swept over our soul then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. Have raging waters ever come for your soul? Is it possible that you could be swallowed alive by your lust, engulfed by bitterness? Could anger sweep over you if your boss or coworker, even your child, pushes your buttons just so? What might be coming to attack your soul this week? Kids, listen up. What do you think puts our soul in danger? What endangers our soul? If you've been going to Sunday school, reading the Bible with your parents, you know the correct Sunday school answer, I hope. 
sin. Sin puts our soul in danger. But the tricky thing about sin is often sin is loving a good thing too much. Sin can be loving a good thing too much. Let me give you an example. When I was a kid, I loved collecting baseball cards. I loved me some baseball cards. I cared about baseball cards almost more than anything else. I'd go to card shows, trade with my friends. But loving something, even like baseball cards, can put our soul in danger when it begins to push out a love for others and a love for the Lord. Loving a good thing too much can put our soul in danger. So maybe video games or that item that you want on Amazon is actually putting your soul in danger. When we think of danger, uh, we often think of maybe, you know, the movies we watch, we think of the villains, we think of uh, those menacing, great villains with the intimidating muscles and their weapons, and the the scary music plays, and we tremble as they come on scene. I think of uh, Darth Vader or Thanos lifting up their victim without breaking a sweat with one hand. But in real life, Our enemy and the danger that we are in spiritually is much more wicked and scary than Darth Vader and Thanos. This is why David points to the uncontrollable fury and power of nature ready to consume everything in its path. And what's so scary is that often our soul's attacker will strike without a moment's notice. We have little warning. Israel was a dry place surrounded by mountains. So when there was sudden rainfall, flash floods could come with very little warning to people and communities before. They could be, their house and their community could be there one minute and then swept away in a flood the next minute. And I think this is how it can be for us spiritually. We think we're fine. We're managing everything. We have everything under control. And then just the right heat is applied. Just the right storm comes, just the right circumstances, and boom, a wave is coming that threatens to shipwreck our faith. The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1.10, So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. Maybe you think I'm being too alarmist. You're like, well, you know, everyone struggles with, with you know, covetousness, greed, lust, anger, but we're safe in Christ. Let's not, let's not scare the kids too much. But I'm not done quite yet. The enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil are great. But the most terrifying thing is when we become an enemy of the Lord, when in our sin we rebel against him. This is the greatest danger of all. One 18th century American preacher warned his congregation of the danger that faces us if the Lord is not on our side. So a lengthy quote, but listen. If God should only withdraw his hand from the floodgate, it would immediately fly open and the fiery floods of the fierceness and wrath of God would rush forth with inconceivable fury and would come upon you with omnipotent power. And if your strength were 10,000 times greater than it is, yea, 10,000 times greater than the strength of the stoutest, sturdiest devil in hell, it would be nothing to withstand or endure it. He goes on. The bow of God's wrath is bent, 
and the arrow made ready on the string. And justice bends the arrow at your heart and strains the bow, and it is nothing but the mere pleasure of God and that of an angry God, without any promise or obligation at all, that keeps the arrow one moment from being made drunk with your blood. This is the ultimate danger. The Lord is either on our side or he is against us. And this is why our enemies of the world, the flesh, and the devil are so dangerous because they seek to turn us away from the God who is the source of all justice, goodness, and love. These enemies seek to have us take our own side against this God and stand on our own as we oppose his will for our lives. The danger in this psalm suggests opposition against God's people for their faith in him, like persecution. We could, we could spend some time thinking about that. We're not going to do that, though, as much this morning, because the ultimate danger is the danger of the world, the flesh, and the devil that seek to bring us to hell. Sometimes danger, spiritual danger, comes like a flash flood with a little warning. Other times, it's like a lazy river. In C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters, C.S. Lewis writes, The safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. I don't know how you've thought about hell. It's not a wild party with your friends. It's not the absence of God. It's not annihilation. Hell is God's active opposition against sinners. God, who is perfectly just and unrelenting fury, punishes sinners for eternity. Friends, this is our danger if the Lord is not on our side. Notice, too, that this is not just an individual song. It's a corporate song. So we want to think, what endangers our soul together as a church? Let's look at the poetry again. Look down. At verse 6, blessed be the Lord who has not let us be ripped apart by their teeth. What teeth are seeking to rip us apart as a church? Now that, I don't know, the image in verse 7 there calls to mind like a lion pouncing, ripping apart a gazelle. So if our church is a gazelle, what's the lion? Is it gossip? Is it Insisting on our freedoms and rights without considering others. Is the lion being suspicious and negative about leadership? Is it putting our trust in our performance, our theology? What is the lion that is prowling around looking to devour our church? If you were the enemy, how would you tempt our church? Let's keep on thinking about this as we look down at the image in verse 7. We have escaped like a bird from the hunter's net. The net is torn and we have escaped. So maybe it will help you to think about the danger of, that faces our church as a net looking to entangle us. Maybe the danger is that we want to be thought of as a successful church together a church that's growing in numbers and in budget. Might be 
might the net be that seeks to entangle us as a church, our desire to commend ourselves to the cultural despisers of the world by appearing intellectual, sophisticated, hip, or even just reasonable. Hence, and there are landmines all around us. The world, the flesh, the devil are constantly looking to swallow us whole. How will we escape? Who will help us? That brings us to our second and final point, the great escape. We've ignored some key phrases in our song so far, I hope you've noticed. Despite what we just considered in point one, this is not a song of terror and judgment. It's actually not a song about God's wrath. It's a joyful song of thanksgiving. It's a song of escape and rescue. But don't you see what David's doing here in the psalm? We must feel the nearness of the danger to know the magnitude of the escape. So are we primed to consider the great escape now? I know I am. Believe it or not, I don't love talking about judgment and hell. So let's get after the joy of this escape. And let's take it from the top. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 begins, if the Lord had not been on our side. Verse 2, if the Lord had not been on our side. Do we need to say it again? It's pretty key. I'm not big on songs with lots of repetition. I'd be just fine if I never sang the song Oceans or I could sing of your love forever again. You'd be just fine. But the repetition in this song is here for our protection. It's, it's important. It's key. The first stanza of the psalm is verses 1 through 5, and it's an if-then construction. Did you notice the logic here? If-then? You know, often when we ask what if, we're looking forward to the future. We're saying, like, what if this happens, like, in the future? Like, what if Portland gets a Major League Baseball team? Would that be great? What if Portland becomes a red state? What if Hinson becomes a seeker-sensitive church? Could I ask all sorts of what-if questions? I restrain myself there. Um, but if this psalm is not looking for, but this psalm is not looking forward to the future and asking what if. Did you notice that? Uh, it's, it's looking backwards. Now, at first I will say, because I, I think this is something that we all do at times, we ask what if about the future and worry. What if there's a fourth or fifth wave of the pandemic or whatever one we're on now? What if our pastors go liberal or woke? What if the vaccine is actually dangerous? What if she cheats on me? We can ask all sorts of what-if questions that fuel our anxiety and our worry. But this psalm is not asking those kind of what-if questions. It's not trying to get our hearts worried by asking those questions. It's, it's looking backwards. Let me, let me give you an illustration because this can be maybe a little bit complicated. Say, let's just say hypothetically, you were, you were about to go on a trip. You were about to get on a plane and go on a trip for work or whatever, but you get sick. And so you can't go on the trip. You have to cancel your flight. And then you're sitting at home in your bed, sick. And then you see that that very flight that you were on went down in a fiery blaze. And there were no survivors. What if you had been on that plane? We look back and we see how we escaped. That's the sense, the escape, that this, I think this psalm is getting at. We look back and we see how we have escaped. That's the logic of the first stanza. If the Lord had not been on our side, we would have been destroyed. But he is on our side. We have escaped the attack. The hangry dragon has been squelched. The flood has been stopped. 
And the second stanza here, starting in verse six, leads us to what our response should be then. And it tells us who stopped the flood, who crushed the dragon. Who is this Lord who is on our side? We, we escape from the fowler's net, as we talked about, or the hunter's net and the fierce beast, because our help, who is this Lord? It's in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And so, verse 6, we bless his name. You kind of see now the structure of the psalm. Here's the problem. We read this psalm, we say, yeah, I agree with that. Praise God for rescuing us. We would never say this out loud, I would hope. (laughs) But the thing about escapees, the thing about people who escape, in our pride, we think we did it. We think, oh yeah, I was was in, in trouble, but I turned my life around. I tore a hole in that net, I got away from that hunter. That, that snake was coming for me, but I'm fast. I got away. We bless our own names. We, we think we escaped in our own strength. We look to the help that comes from our own resources, and we boast in our escape. You know, just think of it this way. When you look back on your life, who do you give credit for the good things that have happened in your life? or even the things that you've avoided. Like, I've been, been faithful to my spouse because set boundaries, um, because of my self-control. Maybe your kids are doing well. You're a parent and your kids are doing well, and you're like, well, it must be my good parenting. They're, they're Christians or they're well-adjusted because of our good parenting. Do you consider even with bad things? Like, yeah, I've never been maybe to prison, never gotten in trouble really at work. I've never had financial problems. I've been successful in my career, whatever it might be. Yeah, because I I worked hard. set goals. I was disciplined. I was kind to people. Followed the golden rule. If I hadn't done those things, I wouldn't be where I am today. You know, the Lord certainly uses means. The Lord gives us gifts. But friends, that kind of thinking is not Christianity. That is moralism. It's dangerous. Not only robs us of our joy and our great escape, robs us of the ability to sing this song with full lungs and rejoice in our salvation. And depending on the Lord, not just for our salvation, but all things. It robs God of the glory of being the all-sufficient God who helps us as the maker of heaven and earth. You know, just as, as Michael reminded us a few weeks ago in Psalm 121, we need help. We need help. And our help comes in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And the help we need is rescue. We need to escape from the danger that we considered in point one of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And ultimately, the Lord's opposition to us as sinners. You know, God's perfect justice and authority as maker of heaven and earth. He made all things, including us. He will allow no proud self-sufficient people into his glorious presence. God doesn't bless those who bless their own efforts. He is on the side of those who bless his name and trust in his rescue alone. So is your help in his name or yours? Are you trusting in his name or in your name? 
And so there's no better help than the help that comes in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So let's be done with trusting our own efforts at escape from danger. We cannot manage our way out of the danger that comes from the world, the flesh, and the devil. You know, God in his perfect justice as maker of heaven and earth doesn't look down on us and say, you know, you're trying really hard. I really respect that. You were really consistent at church. You were very generous. You memorized lots of verses. The Lord looks to see who is on your side. Who did you look to for help? Were you someone who realized you were in great spiritual danger and so you fled to the name of the Lord? Or did you brush off danger as not that big of a deal? You know, everybody struggles with these things. I can figure it out. I'll I'll be better next time. Friends, the joy of the psalm, you will not feel the joy of the psalm. You will not thank God fully unless you see that you actually cannot go to the Lord's side. We are helpless. We're like a deer in the headlights, frozen in terror as the flood is rushing towards us. The beast is upon us with open jaws. We are caught securely in the net and we're just getting more and more tangled the more we wiggle around. But the Lord came to our side. Did he not? Did the Lord not come to our side? Now maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're a little confused. You're like, wait a second. I thought church people were really proud of all the good things they do. They're talking about them all the time. <laughs> you thought that we come to church to feel good about ourselves, to get that spiritual vitamin for the week. Nothing could be further from the truth. You know that saying, God helps those, those who help themselves? God helps those who help themselves? You're like, where, where is that? And That's satanic. That is satanic. God helps those who help themselves. More like God helps those who cannot help themselves, who are weak, who are sick, those who recognize the danger that they are in and turn in great joy to the rescue that is found only in Christ. How many times do we need to read through the Gospels to get this? Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. He came not for the well, but for the sick. Who was justified in Luke 18 when they went to pray? Was it the Pharisee who said, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector? No, the tax collector went home justified because he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. He would not even look his, up to heaven. Friends, this is the good news of the gospel. Those who recognize that they are in great danger and turn to Christ and Christ alone for rescue will know the Lord on their side. The good news of the gospel is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Who is this Lord? He's the maker of heaven and earth. He made us. He made you. And he has ownership rights over our lives. He didn't create us to be his slaves. He created us to be in relationship with him, to delight in him and the wonders of his love. But we didn't like that arrangement. We thought it would be better. We had a better idea. We thought, no, I I like my own authority better. I don't want to be dependent on anyone's help. I don't want to owe anybody anything. So we went our own way. We broke up with him. But outside of the Lord being on our side, we found ourselves in trouble, in danger. We didn't realize that everything good comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Go figure. He made it all. He's the source of all good things. And trying to make our own good, we found ourselves enemies with God. 
He was right to oppose us as we opposed him, for he's unrelenting in his commitment to justice and goodness. But God is also rich in love. So the Father sent his Son, his very self. The Son came to take the side of sinners, those who recognize the spiritual danger that they are in. And instead of us facing the fury of God's wrath, like we thought about earlier, the fury of God's wrath poured out on us, the Son was swallowed alive in the wrath of God. Jesus knew the burning anger of God, the Father on the cross. The dam of God's perfect justice was released and swept over the Son. He was ripped apart. should have been us. So next time you wonder if the Lord is on your side, you look at your life and you're like, I'm pretty sure the Lord's not on my side. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. He did this so that you might be rescued from your sin. He did this so you could be blessed eternally in him. You know, it it often feels like we're we're the ones who have gone through the torrent. We've been ripped apart by sorrow, by disappointment, frustration, loss. But Christian, the Lord is on your side. The Lord is on your side in Jesus Christ. You know, if you're sitting here this morning, thank you for listening, and you're not a Christian, there is nothing better than knowing that the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, is on your side. So will you recognize the spiritual danger that you are in apart from Christ? Put your trust in Christ's righteousness for you, in his sacrifice for your sins. Will you turn from your sin and trust in him today? It's a free gift that the Lord offers you. Will you respond this morning? Here on July 4th, 2021, this could be your true Independence Day. Friend, today we know that the Lord is on our side through faith. We can join in the song of the ransomed from danger. And again, if you would like to talk about this more, I'm going to be standing at that door after the the service, and I would love nothing more than to talk to you about what it might look like for you to put your trust in Christ and know that the Lord is on your side. I want to point out one more thing in this psalm. At the beginning of the sermon, we read this psalm aloud together. Do you know why we did it this way? This is not just a song for the Israelite. It is a song for Israel. It's a national anthem. And today, for the Israel of God, Jew and Gentile united in Christ, it's a song for the church. I want you to look down at your Bibles one more time. Notice that all all the previous songs of ascent began as solos. They began as solos. Look at the intros in Psalm 120 to 123. Look at those first verses. Psalm 120, in my distress, I call to the Lord. Psalm 121, I lift my eyes towards the mountain. Where does my help come from? Psalm 122, I rejoice with those who said to me. Psalm 123, I lift my eyes. Notice something different in Psalm 124. Every pronoun is plural. Our side attacked us, engulfed us, we have escaped. And just so you don't miss it, that this is a congregational song. In verse 1, the worship leader calls the choir, the church, the nation to sing. 
Come on, Israel. Say it with me. Sing it with me. Pray it with me. The Lord did not just save me. The Lord saved us. He spared us. He rescued us. Without him, we would have all been doomed. We are in the same boat together. And we need to be reminded of that regularly, weekly. That's why we're here daily of how the Lord is on our side. Is that why you come to church? Is that why you're here this morning? Or do you come to church kind of to meet your own personal needs? We come to church to help our brothers and sisters remember that the Lord is on our side. Your presence here communicates to to us, to the church. We need help. We all need help. But praise the Lord that he's on our side. You know, the, the Lord has been gracious and kind to us in this country. We know many blessings from being living here in this country. For those of us who are American citizens, it's a blessing. But the Lord doesn't promise to be on America's side. The Lord doesn't prove that he is on our side by giving us these blessings forever that we enjoy. Further, the Lord doesn't prove that he is on our side by giving us a hashtag blessed life. You know what I mean? By giving us a life free of pain, worry, trouble, and loss. That's not how the Lord proves that he's on our side. We already consider how the Lord proves that he is on our side. He proved he was on our side by sending his son, whose blood was shed, so that we could be rescued from the greatest danger. Some of you will have heard that just this last week, our brother Tom Murray died. Uh, We're still waiting for details on how Tom died and if and when there will be a memorial service for Tom. You know, Tom had lived a rough life, uh, which permanently affected his mind and probably even contributed to his death. You might have found yourself in a conversation with Tom here at the church from time to time. Tom was a super friendly guy. I would seems like I would talk to him almost every Sunday. But my, my conversations with Tom would almost always go the same. He, he would always talk about his salvation. He couldn't get over what the Lord had saved him from. He would say, were it not for the Lord, I would be in jail, would have OD'd, But the Lord rescued me. The Lord had mercy on me and brought me to this church. Tom never got over his salvation. Still remember the Sunday that Tom was baptized here? When he came out of the water, I think he lifted both hands in joy. No, I don't don't personally have a past like Tom had. But Tom helped remind me of something. That I too was once a slave to sin. I mean, not the same kinds of sins, but a slave to self-righteousness, to greed, to lust. I was on a highway to hell, but the Lord intervened. The Lord came to my side. And that great salvation that Tom regularly reminded me and us of, we trust that that's now his joy in full. Is there a Tom in your life, who reminds you of your great salvation? Who reminds you how great it is to have the Lord on your side? Are you a Tom for anyone in this church? 
helping remind one another, a brother or sister, of how good it is to have the Lord on our side. Where would we be without the Lord? The danger is intense. But let's not just leave people hanging with the danger, the dread and fear of judgment. Tell them of the hope of rescue. Tell your friends how God had mercy on you through no help of your own and came on your side. We didn't change. God changed us. He rescued us. Our help is in the name of the Lord, not our own gifts, not our own righteousness, not our own resolve. So, of course, today, it's July 4th. Our nation celebrates its independence. George Washington and the rebel American army fought bravely against the British 245 years ago. And our founding fathers drafted this remarkable document in the Declaration of Independence. But had it not been for that strong wind on August 28, 1776, if it had not been for that dense morning fog, I don't know, maybe we wouldn't even be here this morning. But because the American troops escaped and were eventually victorious, we celebrate our freedom. And we're, again, thankful for the blessings that we know in this country. But that's not why we're here today. That's not why we're here together. Because we know that our American independence pales in comparison to what we know in Christ. We were in great danger, but the Lord ransomed us. He proved he is with us on the cross. So we bless the Lord and we look to his help, the maker of heaven and earth. Where would we be without him? And where are we now with him? And eternally, where will we be? Praise the name of the Lord. Bless his name, the maker of heaven and earth, because we are secure in him. If he is for us, who can be against us? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we confess that we are quick to look to all the wrong things for escape, for hope, for security. Lord, we look to our own name. But Lord, we thank you that when we were your enemies at just the right time, you had mercy on us and you sent your Son to be on our side that we might have a refuge from the flood, that we might be freed from the net, from the sin that entangles us. So, Lord, we praise not our own resolve, our own works, our own abilities. We boast not in ourselves as a church this morning, but we boast in your name. You are the maker of heaven and earth. You made us to know you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us even now to come to an end of ourselves as we worship you, and we say, you did it all. Where would we be without you, Lord? Lord, we thank you for where we are in you, that you have hidden our lives secure in your Son, and nothing can separate us from your love. 
Lord. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.